Hello, everybody, and happy December. I hope everyone is having a wonderful month so far and is really excited for Christmas. I know I am. Christmas is like my favorite holiday. I'm recording from beautiful California today. I am in town for, I did Los Angeles Comic Con last week, and that was fun. I went to Disneyland yesterday, and I have a craft fair today, so I'm super excited about that. But I am even more so excited for this episode because I have been looking forward to reading this book for a really long time, and I know a lot of you guys already love it, and you guys really loved having Rebecca on the show, so I'm not going to babble on. Let's get into today's episode. NovelTtins.com, and they specialize in bookish, punny tea selections. And so they have so many different options based on many, many different books. I definitely recommend checking them out. Um, I'm a lover of a good pun. So this was just a really special find for me. You can check them out at NovelTtins.com. N-O-V-E-L-T-E-A-T-I-N-S.com and just see all the fun selections they have. It's it's really funny pun sometimes and I just love their creativity. Jumping into Nightweaver though, I just want to start by saying I find it very hard to believe that this is R.M. Gray's first book. It is written so well and Rebecca, I know you're listening to this And you deserve every single compliment I'm going to throw your way. I am blown away (laughs) by the level of writing that you have in here. So seriously, kudos to you. Um, But I've got stuff to talk about, so let's get it. Starting in chapter one, we meet our main character, Violet, and her brother, Owen. And their ship is getting attacked. Um, we learned that she was kidnapped by cannibals a year ago and rescued after about two months and they weren't going to touch her while she was there because she was cursed. And now this is like a lot of information right off the start, but I have so many questions. Like in the first couple pages, I started writing down questions, but we find out that it is Nightweavers attacking Um, And Nightweavers are not human. They are these monsters that have been hunting humans for the past 600 years. And they eat human flesh and drink human blood and bathe in their blood and just made out to be these completely disgusting, monstrous creatures. But one thing that stood out to me is that We're not seeing the description as Violet is seeing the monster. We're seeing it in the way that she's been told. So as we see the creature, he has his hood up and 
she's just saying, I know what they look like because of the stories that I've heard. And this is my first indication that everything she knows is a lie. Everything that she has been told has been a story or made up or embellished or exaggerated to some degree. Now, I know how myths and stories and rumors all start. They get mixed up and, you know, the game of telephone, right? But I have a feeling that Violet's going to learn real quick that she doesn't know anything. (laughs) So we meet all the rest of her siblings, all but one, Elise, who is screaming for help. And they jump into action to try to save her immediately. But Violet says that Owen is faster. And this ties directly back to the very first line where she says, I'm not fast enough. And I have a feeling this is going to be a reoccurring theme where she's constantly going to be comparing herself to her siblings or how she falls short of them and maybe specifically Owen. Um, And I feel like that strength is going to, or I'm sorry, that the speed is going to become a major part of her strength and weakness balance. So Violet and Owen jump onto the other ship, the Nightweaver ship, and is back to back ready to fight them together. And this one part really stood out to me where she says that they've been back to back surrounded by enemies before. And Owen has left like ready, completely confident, ready for the fight has left. And there's the one line that says, why isn't he laughing? And this was so strong to me that it stood out so fantastically as this is such a dire situation for them that this is unlike anything they've ever encountered before and they're not prepared. But that one simple line just gave all of that in one pretty little package. But we also learn here that she has a medallion from the pirate that saved her from the cannibals um, that she had stolen from him. And this was giving me super big Pirates of the Caribbean vibes. And I know that the book is inspired by Pirates of the Caribbean heavily. So I like to make a little fun game of trying to pick out all the different Pirates of the Caribbean um, Easter eggs that I can find. And I'm going to point them out. And then we're going to find out if we found them all, if they were intentional. Um, But this is my own little like list I'm making this time around. So if you guys find any that I miss, let me know. (laughs) This is where we also find out that Owen will kill Violet just so she doesn't suffer at the hands of the Night Weavers. He's willing to make her death brief and quick and as painless as possible, just so she's not suffering. And I think that really speaks volume to the life that they've led and what they feel like is their only choice. And it's very setting for the scene. Violet talks about how her and her brother were meant to find the Red Island, which is a pirate myth that they've promised each other isn't a myth. It's real. They're going to find it together. And they fight the Nightweavers. Again, we have the line, I'm not fast enough. And this is the moment where it's the most detrimental because it causes Owen's death. And Rebecca, how dare you? I knew it was coming because we literally talked about it in our interview, but I wasn't prepared. I don't know why, but I just, I wasn't prepared at all. 
And I know now that Violet's going to be blaming herself for his death throughout the whole thing. And it just makes me so sad. (laughs) But kudos, kudos. It was so well done. After Owen is killed, her mom jumps aboard the ship and saves her. And as she's retreating from that fight to go save her sister, she looks back and she sees a shadow with these glowing red eyes come out of the body and fly down further into the ship. She goes after it, but before she does, there's this moment where she looks back at her family ship and she sees it going up in flames and sinking. And I think this is a really big symbol for her life as she knows it, literally going up in flames. And everything's going to change from here on out. Nothing's going to be the same. So as she follows the shadow down, she opens a door and finds a little girl standing there. And she tells the little girl, don't worry, I'm not going to hurt you. But then she gets hit. From behind, and as she's passing out, she sees that the Night Weaver looks human. It's a young man. Chapter two begins with her waking up from a nightmare of Owen dying, and she sees the young man again, and he like touches her, and she just has this overwhelming um, calming sense, and it puts her back to sleep. When she wakes up the second time, she realizes that she's been asleep for two weeks. And her and her family have been captured um, by the Night Weavers. And they are going to be sold at an auction. We get a little backstory as to kind of where the Night Weavers came from. It's said that the true king created them, but was disgusted because they were corrupted with greed. So he kind of turned his back on them. And we find out that not all humans fled to the sea like her family did. Well, (laughs) her ancestors, I guess, um, because this was like 600 years ago. But a lot of the humans had fled to sea to get away from the Night Weavers, but not all of them. Some of them still live on land and are in servitude to the Night Weavers. So as the ship docks and they get on land, they pass a bulletin board that has notices. And the first one that is listed is that anybody that is doing any kind of sorcery will be hanged. So obviously, guys, it's a matter of time before we see some magic powers coming out here. Another notice is a wanted poster for a Captain Shade, who is the pirate that saved Violet from the cannibal ship. There's rumors about him that he is a sorcerer and... He's a very dangerous man, um, and it's whose medallion Violet currently has. As they're traveling through town, they see a black carriage pulled by big black horses, Um, and it's interesting because they've been at sea their whole lives, and so the Night Weavers kind of make fun of Violet because she had never seen a horse And there's this moment where she's looking as they're passing like a a booth, like a shop. Um, There's a sword that has a inscription about the true king. And it was her understanding that the Night Weavers would hate the true king because he turned his back on them. But that's not what she's seeing based on all of the 
symbols throughout town and on the armor of guards. And so I feel like this is a second indication that everything she knows is a lie. There's a moment on page 25 where Violet says that she wants to cry and she wants to mourn the loss of her brother. Because keep in mind, she's been asleep for two weeks. She hasn't had a chance to mourn yet. Where her family has had that time not to get over the death, but to, you know, mourn it and and get their sadness out. She hasn't had that opportunity. But she says that she's not going to cry because if she does, the rest of the family will fall apart. And I thought this was really interesting because there's this connection that they're all intertwined as one solid unit. As they're walking through, they see a young boy who is about to be hanged at the gallows. And right before it happens, like as the announcer is like announcing his crimes, somebody kills the announcer and a whole bunch of red smoke comes out and causes a huge distraction. And in this, Violet is grabbed. She sees this man save the boy and kill the executioner. And we find out that it is Captain Shade, who is the pirate that saved her. He says that he's been looking for her and he takes his his medallion back. He also offers to take her with him, which I thought was very, very interesting. Because obviously he's been watching her. He's been keeping an eye on her. When he saved her, he brought her back to her family. So he knows that she has a family. And in this moment, he's not inviting the whole family to come. He's only inviting her. She denies and obviously decides that she has to stay with her family to protect them. In chapter three, she is recaptured by the Night Weavers. And in all of the chaos that was created, um, a skeleton was hung in the town square with a message to the king. I say message, but it was really a threat. And there are some rumors of Captain Shade being in league with the um, with the rebels. The Nightweavers continue to take them to the auction. And when they get there, there's one Nightweaver that comes up and tries to inspect them and is looking at Elise, who's the little sister. And so Violet steps in and tries to protect her. This interaction is interrupted by the young man from the ship, And he purchases her and her entire family and heals her. She starts to kind of get a little feisty again. And her mom tells her to back down. And basically, they all just kind of get on the ship. And Violet sees this as not surviving, more of surrendering. In chapter four, while they are on the train, they take her brother, Charlie, who had gotten shot in the interaction, Um, takes him to get healed and they have one come up to Violet and say, Hey, Lord Castor wants to see you. And that's the, the young man from the ship. And she says, no. And this, I don't know if it was specifically a Pirates of the Caribbean reference, but it was reminiscent of when they say, I am disinclined to acquiesce to your request. It gave the same vibe. So if it's not an Easter egg, it's still vibing. As Violet is saying, no, she's not going to go talk to Lord Castor, she realizes that the other Nightweavers are kind of afraid of him. They fear for their life. If if So the, the one that's coming to retrieve her specifically 
is afraid that he will be killed if he comes back without her. So obviously he is someone to be feared. But her mom encourages her to go, and so she agrees. And she's taken to this lovely dining hall, plenty of food, lots of, like, a huge banquet. He invites her to dine with him, and he informs her that he had killed the captain that killed her brother and that he was sorry for her loss. He says that it was not him who had ordered them to attack their family ship. It was the captain's choice to do that. And he also says that he knows that the shadows with the red eyes are real and that he knows what Violet had seen. He says that it was a type of underling, um, which is a type of night weaver. Some come from above and some come from below. And this one came from below. And his kind, the kind that came from above, were sent by the true king in order to eradicate the ones from below. He explains that during the war, they lost their innocence and therefore their wings were stripped from them and they were no longer allowed to go back home after the war because they were no longer pure. We get a little bit more about the politics of the Night Weavers and Castor tells her that it had possessed the man, um, the shadow had possessed the man. And that makes her realize that it could have possessed anybody else. It could be anywhere. This shadow could be on the train with her at the moment. He also tells Violet that she shouldn't be allowed to see the shadows or she shouldn't be able to, not allowed. She shouldn't be able to see the shadows. So there's something special about her that allows her to do so. Whether it be the medallion or the curse that supposedly she has on her Castor tells her that he is no stranger to curses and he wants to give her family a home and offer them compensation for their employment at his family estate. And he burns the purchase order that made them slaves. He introduces himself to her as Will, um, which I think is another Pirates of the Caribbean reference. Um, And that's how we end that chapter. In chapter five, we find out that everything that, or not everything, but we find out that part of what Will said was true and that her family was fed and cared for. And Will's little sister is in there playing with her little sister. When the train stops, they see an automobile come up and they get really excited because being pirates and living on the sea, they've never seen one before. And so they all kind of jump onto or into the car for a ride. And she makes a point to know, to notice that her whole family does this without realizing that she didn't go with them and she feels forgotten by them. So she ends up sharing a horse with Will. He takes her to her home of, sorry, he takes her to his home of Inkhaven which she had heard rumors of the streets run black with human blood. So she's expecting this place to just be absolutely awful. But what she's seeing is the complete opposite. And again, this is another lie that she has believed her whole life about night weavers. They arrive at the house and she sees that humans already work there and they are happy to see Will return home. Um, her and her family are all given jobs around the manor and she meets the 
Lord and Lady, so Will's parents, and then his other siblings as well, who mostly seem like really lovely people, with the exception of Henry. (laughs) In chapter six, she makes an observation that her sister seems happy, Margaret seems happy here, and she expresses that she's not and she wants to leave. So while Margaret sleeps, she sneaks out in the middle of the night. One of the other workers, um, Jack, again, I don't know if that's a reference, but it probably is. Um, So Jack sees her and she starts to run because she thinks that he's going to stop her from leaving. But he catches up to her. And first thing he says is, you know, you're pretty fast, which I thought was really interesting because it's a direct comparison to what she thinks of herself saying that she's not fast so I just thought that was really interesting that he's like hey you're a pretty fast person and she's like no I'm not but (laughs) um I just wanted to point that out because it I think it's gonna mean something but anyway he gives her a pack that Will had said specifically to give to her when she tries to run away He also notices that she's wearing flats and he's like, you're not going to get anywhere on those shoes. Let's go get real boots for you. And he's like helping her prepare for the journey. And this isn't the first time that like Will has almost read her mind or been a step ahead of her. I don't know if he's that good or if he has more powers than what we know about. Jack takes her into the stables where there's a unicorn, um, like a real one. And as they're there, they see Will's little sister, Annie, is looking for someone named Dearest. As Violet is looking at Annie, she sees like a flash of a scene of Annie, like covered in blood and just this whole disgusting scene around her. And it's really interesting um, that she's seeing that because I don't know if it's something else that she shouldn't be seeing. Is there a glamour on this place and Will really is lying? Or is she seeing like an image of the future? I don't know. There's a lot of different possibilities. Um, But she blinks and it's gone and Annie returns to normal. She starts to question if Annie is possessed by the shadow because the shadow went somewhere. It didn't disappear. So she's wondering if it went into Annie because Annie was in that room. But, you know, who else? I don't know if they were in the room, but who else was, like, in that area was Will. So I guess technically it could be Will who's possessed as well. She decides to stay. And when she returns to her bed, she finds Owen's bracelet, um, the bracelet that the whole family wore, like, matching ones. And all of them were taken. And she had Owen's, but Will had taken it off of her. And so when she returns back to her bed, it is sitting on her pillow which seems like a reward for staying. And it seems a little manipulative to me. So I don't know if I like Will yet. It's jury still out on that one. (laughs) Um, But as she's falling asleep, she sees glowing red eyes above her. And she doesn't know if it's a dream or if it's real. Sorry, I had my notes mixed up. And we know that Dearest is Annie's pet. And it's an atroxy. Um which is a another myth um, that we're seeing here in this land. And it's this ugly, like, six-legged little dog. Um, 
but that's who Annie's looking for. Sorry, my my notes were all over the place. So in chapter seven, they find the body of Dearest and they think that it was killed by something called a gore, which is a type of underling. During dinner, um, they are serving the Castor family and Henry trips Margaret as she's walking past. Lord Castor reprimands him um, and then talks to Violet's dad and says that if they want to sign the papers of employment, um, he doesn't expect them to sign it right now. He expects them to talk about it as a family and make a decision. But her dad immediately signs. And I feel like Violet feels kind of betrayed like about this because up until now, they were always thought of as like one unit and always doing things together. And here, her mom and dad made a decision for the whole family without talking to them at all. She obviously is very angry about this and she goes to leave. As she's grabbing the pack from under her bed, Henry attacks her and Will comes in and has to save her. He takes her out to the stables and is trying to convince her to stay. And he invites her on a picnic with him. He says, I want to show you something. Once you see it, you can decide if you want to stay or go. There's this fun quote here too that says like, it's been too long since I've stabbed something. And that just really made me chuckle. I liked it a lot. Will takes her to the conservatory where he shows her um, another myth that she thought was extinct, which are pixies. And we're in chapter eight, by the way, I forgot to say that, but he shows her the pixies. And again, here's another piece of information that she's been led to believe wrongly. And he apologizes for Henry's behavior, explaining that he was taken by the same cannibals that had kidnapped her. And so he's kind of messed up now. As they talk, she realizes that they could be friends and she asks him for help catching the shadow. And then they hear a scream. And in chapter nine, they go and find that the gore had attacked two of the human servants. Their heads were on display in the courtyard on the water fountain and carved into their head. It said, hello, Violet. So in chapter... I didn't get that. Could you try again? (laughs) I'm not talking to you, Siri. Um, Sorry about that. So in chapter 10, it is revealed that it's not a gore that killed them. It was something using the gore as a diversion. Everyone is sent to do their jobs, um, and Charlie is left to clean up the mess that's in the fountain. It's, you know, bloody, and the heads are there. And as he starts to clean up, Will stops him and pulls Violet over and is like, hey, do you notice that? And there's something, like, glittering in their mouth, right? So she goes in to get it, and he, like, pulls her back, and she's like, well, do you want to go get it? And he's like, no, I can't. And she's like, okay, then I'm going to. And gets in the water, pulls out whatever is glittering in the mouth of the decapitated head and realizes that it is Dearest's collar. And on the collar, it says, did you miss me? Which is obviously another message to Violet. So as she's getting out, she feels something pull her like from inside the bloody water and drags her under the water and like claws at her. And her brother has to pull her out. And her brother is like, 
scolding Will, like, why didn't you save her? You just stood there and did nothing. And he says that some of the stories are true about Nightweavers and that he can't go near human blood because it will make him go crazy. I just picture him, like, going absolutely feral and, like, ravaging. (laughs) So as they're walking away from the fountain, Charlie notices something's wrong with Violet, and he looks at her and he goes, Violet, your eyes. And before she can figure out what he's talking about, Will forces Charlie to forget what he saw and puts Violet to sleep. And that's where we end chapter 10. And that's where we end today's read-along, which if there was ever a time that I wanted to read another chapter because the cliffhanger was just too good, it's now. But alas, we are going to have to wait for that. Um, But you guys don't have to wait for another amazing author interview because it is starting literally right now. Okay, so I do have a question. How do you pronounce your last name? It is pronounced Olivian, so it's pronounced how it's spelled. Okay. I could I I was debating if it was like Olavion, like if I'm throwing like an inflection in there or something, but it's Olivian. It's, not it's not okay. Anything. It's just Olivia. Like I actually so it's a that is a pen name. Um Olivian is actually my mom's name. And oh, cool. um she always hated it because people could never pronounce it right. <laughs> So she's always gone by uh, her middle name, which is Lynn. But like as she got older, she appreciated it more. And I've always told her that I liked it because it was unique. And the um, her mother and father, they couldn't decide between the names Olivia and Vivian. So they just mushed the two together and put an A at the beginning. And that's how they came up with Olivian. And I was like, oh, I want to use that. So... I decided to pay homage and use that as my pen name. So it is a really unique name um, for your mom to have in real life. Like that's awesome. I love yeah. it. It's it's a super fantasy name too, like Queen Olivian, you know? Oh <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. It did when I was trying to come up with it, I was like, do I want to use my middle name or do what do I want to do? And my my name is Megan, but I have friends call me Meg, and so I was like, Meg Olivian, that sounds really fantasy-esque that sounds yeah nice. yeah it does i think you picked a really good one there <laughs> okay so today we're hanging out with meg olivian who is the author of the new fantasy novel of magic and men meg how are you i am doing so good i'm so excited how are you i'm wonderful thank you so much for asking um so i think a really good place to start is just Tell us about of Magic and Men. Well, so this is my debut fantasy, technically, uh, for the name that I'm currently writing under. Um, I actually wrote uh, contemporary uh, YA books about 10 years ago under my actual name. <laughs> Um, so, but I'd never written fantasy before and I've always wanted to, but it kind of seemed like this really intense mountain that I would have to climb because, you know, just, I mean, contemporary is, is one thing you can write about what, you know, but like creating worlds is just a lot. And, and, And I mean, I have so many fantasy books that I have loved over the years that I 
I was like, I want to do that. I, I want to try to create my own world. And this was my first attempt and I did it. And I, I actually, this was like, it took me uh, probably going on almost three, four years to actually write it and finish it, but I did it. And so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to start fresh. I'm going to create a new pen name uh, since it's a whole new genre and just see how it goes. So I, um, this is technically my debut. It is my debut for fantasy. So that's super exciting. Um, a Magic in Men is, I've been promoting it as a witchy fantasy romance. So it is fantasy and romance. Yeah, I personally think it's equal parts fantasy and romance. I mean, there's spice. The, the romance is a big part of the plot. Um, but the character in the world is characters in the world is just as important. Um, and it, I love the, I love the fantasy, uh, genre, but I don't really see as many, uh, paranormal fantasy that's not urban. So like, you know, witches and werewolves and all those things, it's usually taking place in like an urban city like Crescent City and uh, moral insurance and all those things. And I love those types of stories, but I wanted it in a fantasy setting, like an actual, like completely other world that we're not used to. Um, so I wanted to create my own witchy fantasy. Uh, and I've always been a fan of horror. So I wanted there to be some creepy horror elements to it. Um, and I've also been promoting the fact that my villain is inspired by Maleficent because she's one of my all-time villains. And so I was hugely inspired by that character and specifically the uh, Angelina Jolie movies uh, for Maleficent. So there's a lot of inspiration that came from that. Um, I'm just going off topic. Did I answer your question? <laughs> Yeah, no, I, you definitely did. Um, it was just like, you know, about the book. Um, and okay, so here, it might be like an obvious question. Um, is there a correlation between your title and Of Mice and Men? No, there is not. I have, <laughs> um, I've had a few people comment on that and they're like, oh, it's, uh, I love the book of mice and men. Is it, is it this or is it compared? And I'm like, no, it's just, you know, a fun little alliteration. <laughs> it's, uh, I actually came up with a title pretty early on. Um, that's usually actually one of the first things I do when I'm writing a new story is the title is one of the first things that comes to me. And I knew that it, I didn't think about that book at all when it came to me, like it just, sounded right but then when i realized i was like why does it sound so similar and i was like oh wait there is that one book <laughs> so like Not no one it instant classic you know? yeah it doesn't have anything to do with that um i just you know it makes sense with the story i was talking with my street team uh the other day actually because i was bouncing ideas off of them about the titles for book two and three which i am mostly set on at this point but i was telling them kind of why i had chosen those titles and what of magic and men actually means and the th those words and that phrase will actually come up in the books 
later on. So it'll, it'll make sense as to why, but yeah, no, it doesn't have anything to do with that one. <laughs> I really do love the title. It just throws me off when I see you abbreviate to Oh ma'am. Cause I'm like of my cement. No, no, no. That's not what we're talking about. I know. I know. I probably stuck my foot in my mouth when I did that. <laughs> It's just like the English major in me that I'm just yeah. like, I've studied that book extensively. But <laughs> basically, so I just thought it was really funny. Right. Yeah. Basically, it's just it, the way that it's meant to be read is that it's this book. This is a story of magic and of men. So <laughs> I love that. I love it a lot. Um, I love the cover specifically, too. Um, yes. What was your me process in too. finding the cover artist? So I worked with Maria Spada. She is, uh, she's worked with several other indie authors that I'm friends with. And um, she did VB Lacey's cover. Um, I believe she worked with Vanessa Rasnan and uh, Natalia uh, in Lucia. And theirs were all the vibe that I was kind of going for with just like, not a super complex cover, but I also didn't want it to just be words. Like I, I knew it needed to be some sort of image. Um, but I don't really have a symbol that represents my book. So I was like, can't really have like an item or a symbol or something like that. So I was like, what singular thing with singular image could I focus on? that captures just the vibes. And so when I had reached out to her, knowing that I liked her work, I had specifically said, I was like, this is a book that takes place in the fall. I like the idea of it being it like foresty, uh, brown leaves, kind of uh, capturing that time of year. And then I think I want a castle to be involved at some point. Um, and actually, I did have a reference that I had sent her. She was like, well, is there anything specific that you would like the style that you're looking for of like how you want it to be laid out? And I had sent her a picture of uh, Bridget Kimmer's cover of Defy the Night. And hers is kind of similar where like the outer edge of the cover is like your inside of the um foliage and stuff and then the the inner image is of the location like far off in the background and i was like i think we could work with something like that and she the very first thing she sent me was what i have as the cover now and i was like well you nailed it that was that's awesome <laughs> like it, it and i had even told her i was like can we maybe put like a little hawk in the sky because there's a hawk that's significant in the book and she threw that in there i was like oh my gosh like i i was absolutely stunned when i first saw it i was like this is the type of cover that if i saw this in a bookstore it would immediately catch my eye like this is beautiful so i totally agree i fangirl over my own cover all the time <laughs> it's, it turned out so good yeah, she hit it out of the park. And you're right. Like when I was walking through, I went to um, the Red Bodice in Los Angeles and your book caught my eye. And I was like, wait, I know this book. I've heard about this book. And I like instantly like picked it up. Oh my gosh. Can I just it say, I, first of all, I had no idea that they even had my book in stock. So you literally, when you had posted that you bought it there, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> they, 
they're selling my book. Like I was so excited. So that, cause like for, as an indie author, I haven't reached out to them. So that means that either somebody requested that they stock it or they themselves chose to stock it. So I'm just like, they know who I am. That's amazing. That's awesome. I didn't know like how that process worked, but that's really interesting that even you didn't know it was there. No, I didn't. Like, yeah, like uh, for indie authors, we have to basically on a store by store basis kind of request for our books to be stocked. Um, unless the store themselves, like if they're interested in, if it's a local indie bookstore, like if they want to have like local people there, or if, if they see like a popular book online, obviously they'd want to have that to feature in their store. But yeah, it's kind of like a trial by trial basis where you just have to pitch it and be like, Hey, can you stock my book? <laughs> and you're not local to California though, aren't you? Um, I am not. No, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. So that's really interesting that it made it to Los Angeles without you having anything to do with that process. I know. I was so excited. I was like, wow, someone out there knows who I am in Los Angeles. I've made it. <laughs> oh, how sweet. No, that's awesome. Yeah, I was really excited when I got there. And then um, you just partnered with Briarwick as well, right? Yeah, uh, we don't have any like uh, an official like line going on at the moment we've talked about possibly maybe doing something in the future if there's enough like um you know interest in people wanting to buy it but i used to be a rep for them and so i have worked with them in the past and i absolutely love that company like their candles are some of my absolute favorites like they last long they smell great they're actually candles that like smell super super strong and like fill a room like i'm really picky about that kind of stuff so like not only are they bookish and make you happy when you look at the name of your favorite character but like they're actually good candles so whenever i repped for them i was like super excited to work with them and then that was before i had published the book and then after i published i had kept in touch with them and I knew that I wanted to do just like a small rollout of PR boxes to send to Bookstagram people. And I had asked them if they wanted to put one of their candles in the box. So they worked with me on that and we created uh, a character candle for my two main characters, Wit and Freya. And so, um, they made some small tin size Freya candles for the box that went out. And then they made just recently um, the wit candle. Well, they had made that a, a while ago because I had wanted to try a custom candle of just to see what it would turn out to be. And we ended up using that. Um, and so they've made uh, both of those jars and I have a giveaway going on right now on my page for people that can win those jar candles but yeah i've worked with them off and on for a couple of different things involving my books so it's been really fun that's great that is really, and they're really so awesome. yeah they're in the store too right they have some of their candles at the ripped bodice they do they had quite a bit they had a lot of the different trope candles and then they had um some of like the sarah j mass candles um I'm so sad, though. I went, like, a week or two before they released the fourth wing candles, and I was like, I would have loved to smell those. Oh, but. Yeah. 
but it's okay. It's totally fine. <laughs> I'll just have to go back. I'm going to be back in Los Angeles um, at the end of this month. So I'm like, I'll just make a quick trip over. But Well, they do. Um, they always have uh, different reps. Uh, they have some permanent reps that are on Instagram that I'm friends with a couple of those girls, but there's, uh, they're always changing out their, uh, different bookstagrammers that they work with. And so there's always people that you can use codes for to get like order online and stuff. Yeah. I love companies that do that, that partner with like bookstagram or book talkers, you know, and I find a lot of new book book merch that way. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. Before I got super back into the whole bookstagram scene, which is like maybe two years ago. I had very limited bookish merch. <laughs> it, like I'm I at one point I owned one bookmark, like one actual bookmark, and now I have an entire jar that's just like exploding. <laughs> and then it turned into stickers and then it turned into candles and now it's turned into t-shirts and it just spirals from there. It does. I I noticed I did the same thing. So I had like a bunch of like free bookmarks um, that I got at like conventions and stuff. But then, you know, I started like getting bookmarks like with specific books that I had bought. And then I bought stickers and, you know, it like you said, it definitely spirals. I have multiple like bookish t-shirts now. I started making my own for like my Etsy shop too. And like, it was just yeah, I'm I, excited I don't know how it to, got to this point. I'm excited <laughs> to dive into to see what kind of stuff you make because I was listening to the episode with Rebecca and I was like, um, it sounds like I'm a I'm a sticker fiend and if she's got Disney stickers, I'm gonna see what's going on over there. I just added a few new ones too. Uh, I'll send Yay. you my link and then whatever stickers you want, just, just send me a quick message. I got you. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I'm one of those people that recently discovered that you can um change out your stickers like to decorate your kindle like instead of actually sticking them on there like you just slip them inside of the clear case and you can change them out and that was just like the most genius thing i didn't know that that was a thing but now that's what i do (laughs) life-changing right (laughs) so i i'm i'm one of those people that would constantly change their phone case like every six months because I would get bored and want to change it up. So like being able to change the stickers on my Kindle has been so stimulating. Yeah. Before I made that connection as well, I used to just have like multiple Kindle covers. Oh yeah. And I would just like swap out. I'm like, okay, well here is my fantasy cover. Here's my horror cover. Here's my like my smut cover, you know, whatever, um, whatever cover I was feeling at the time. But then I saw somebody just put it in the back and I was like, that's genius. Absolute yeah, genius. Like, like, why did I not think of that? You know, sometimes you just, the simplest things just like right over your head. <laughs> it's always, you. it's always like bookstagram or TikTok, like somebody showing you something that you should have known your whole life. And you're just like, wow, I was oh, today yeah. years old. <laughs> right. I saw one the other day. What was it? Um, I don't remember, but I, I looked at it. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I was like, how do I not know? I know I still don't know it because I forgot apparently, but. <laughs> it's always the household stuff that gets me. Like, this is how you should have been using this your whole life. And I'm like, oh, I feel so dumb, but that's so cool. <laughs> no one ever teaches you that stuff, though. No. You know, 
that class in high school that was supposed to teach us like how to survive in life just taught us taxes. That's it. <laughs> I didn't even get taxes. Nobody taught me that. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, my course was not very extensive on taxes at all. It was just like, make sure you do your taxes. And that was pretty much the extent of it. But <laughs> I went to private school and I didn't even get that. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I went to public, but, you know, <laughs> pros and cons of both, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I went to a private Christian school for high school, and it had its own trauma to unpack. So it was it was interesting. But I'm I sure. Also, I'm also one of those people that, like, I didn't have, like, a bad high school experience. Like, I, I, I wasn't, you know, like, measurable all four years. I had my friends, and it was fine. But, like... Yeah, we didn't get the most well-rounded education. <laughs> so did you pursue any um, additional education outside of, like, high school? Like, did you go to college or, like, do any courses to take on a writer's career? I only, so I went to college for a year and then decided that it was not my thing. And I actually studied uh, fashion, uh, merchandising, and um, I forget what the actual course was called. But, like, I, I was a manager in retail at the time, and I was working visual merchandising. Um, and I was working in stores where I would design, like, their floor sets and stuff to, like, uh, dress the mannequins and decide how the tables were laid out and all those things. And I was like this is what I'm doing and I'm good at it. So I might as well get a degree in it. Like I just, I didn't really know what else to do at the time. So I went for a year and studied fashion and I realized that half of the degree was actually like, you know, about the clothes and like sewing. <laughs> I was like, mm. I want to do the business side. I don't really want to do the clothes side. And then, of course, just money-wise, it didn't really make any sense to keep doing it. So I decided that it wasn't going to be for me anymore. And I stopped going to school and started working full-time, which was good. It was fine. Um, but no, I never pursued anything specifically to writing. Everything that I have quote-unquote studied like I've just learned on my own um a lot of it has been just reading uh from other authors and reading uh things that uh craft books that would be recommended by other authors listening to videos of them talking um about their processes and I've as far as writing I, I've 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 been a writer my whole life. Like I've always loved coming up with stories. Um, it's always been kind of that thing in the back of my mind that it's my first love, but I never really I was kind of too scared to make that my career or my thing. Because, you know, once you do that, like you might lose the excitement or it won't be fun anymore. And so I was always like, ah, I don't, I don't want to make that my actual job because then it's not going to be the thing that I like. But 
Um, I've been proven wrong so far since then, to, since I decided to focus on it full time. Like, I, I don't get tired of it. it. It really is my first love. So I've, um, I wish sometimes that back then, if I had taken that jump to decide that I wanted it to be my career, like it, it, if maybe I could have done a few things differently here and there to kind of help, I don't know pushed me further along down the road but then again like maybe not maybe I'd be exactly where I am right now because uh, like I was listening to the episode with Rebecca like uh, so much of what you can learn you just you can find these things on your own like you can I mean YouTube and the internet and just there's an abundance of resources with like TED Talks and all of these um uh what is it called the uh, master classes like that you can take like there's literally anything you could possibly think of you can learn and it just makes a lot more sense to I guess for me that I wanted to create my own sort of curriculum <laughs> and like I didn't want to waste my time doing classes that I wasn't interested in that and have to pay for something that was just you know, not, not really going to benefit me wholly in any way. So it never made sense for me to pursue the, uh, school path, but yeah, I've, I've learned so, so much just from listening to other people tell their stories and talk about how they've gotten to where they are and their process on how they do things. And I mean, I feel like you would be doing the same thing sitting in a classroom. You'd just be paying for it. <laughs> yeah, education is a lot more available um, now with the internet, <laughs> I think. Um, Absolutely. It, honestly, like I, I went and got my associates. Um, I didn't do any like further education, but I like wish I didn't waste those two years of my life. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I like knowing what I know now, I could have just jumped right into what I wanted and, you know, been a yeah, lot happier I mean, for it. I feel like it's just it depends on the path that you're wanting to take, because obviously, like. If you're going the traditional route of publishing, per se, like there are agents and publishing houses that want to see that certification to be like oh yeah like you you have your degree you studied you know what you're talking about and i mean the same with any job like if there's a specific career that you're wanting to go down obviously those things are necessary but um for somebody like me who had no intention of ever publishing traditionally who just has done all of this on my own i didn't need to prove those qualifications to anybody i just need to prove it to myself so Right. And I don't mean to say that, like, you shouldn't go to college. <laughs> no, that's what, yeah, that's what yeah. I'm saying. Like, there's definitely, like, obviously, if you want to be a doctor, like, that's like. Please go to college for please. a doctor. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, it all comes down to how you learn, too. Because, I mean, there are people, everyone learns in different ways. And if you need that structure or you need, um, that a, a different type of environment to to learn better like obviously you have to choose what's best for you and and some people uh it goes uh along the same way of when i when i was in college there were a few online classes that i was doing and i had people in my class that they ended up 
not sticking with it because they were like, I have to be in an actual classroom. Like I can't depend on myself to make myself do the work. Cause like, I'll just procrastinate and won't do it. Like it, I, I work well on my own and that kind of stuff works for me. So it really just, yeah, it just depends on each individual person. And okay. So you had said that you were really interested in the business aspect when you were like learning about the fashion merchandising and everything. Did that help you in your indie career um, or indie writing career, excuse me, because of how much business and merchandising you have to do on your own? I think so. Um, just basically learning what all goes into not necessarily running a business because I don't, I mean, I am technically, I have my own imprint, so it is a business, but just like knowing how to talk to people, how to organize things. Um, I, having that experience made me feel a bit more comfortable putting myself out there to do those things, I guess, because, um, I had to learn, uh, all the technical side of like when you have to file for your copyright and, uh, buying your ISBN number and filing for, um, listing yourself as a doing business as like the, all the like technical businessy things that you have to do in order to make yourself legit. And, um, I also, I had a little bit of experience with, uh, just like organizing and organizing a team and like working with other people. So like, I felt it gave me the confidence to back when I was writing 10 years ago, I contacted all these different bookstores and events and put together my own tour and I didn't have anybody to help me. I had to figure out all that stuff. So it's definitely helped give me confidence and experience, I think. So, yeah. I mean, I think it definitely works like where you're at now, right? Oh, for sure. I, <laughs> over the course of, every everything has culminated to what i know now based on like it just go, going to school and and learning that little bit of business that i did doing what i did 10 years ago with uh, my first self publishing stuff and learning and then now later learning from other people new people that i've met in the industry like it all just builds on top of each other and you just you learn and learn and learn and i'm still learning but yeah i've i I feel good about the path that I've taken. Good, good. I'm glad. And like you, you had said that like you had organized your first tour. So now that with the fantasy novel specifically, I see that you're at a couple conventions coming up um, next year, like Utopia and Romanticy. How did that come about? Was that your idea? Did they reach out to you? So the Utopia convention is here in Nashville, and I actually attended that uh, back in 2015 for my other books. And I, uh, I know the person that puts all that together through a friend who has worked with her before. Um, and so I knew that she was wanting to put together another convention for 2024. 
and because they had taken some time off after the pandemic and everything kind of slowed down um and they didn't do it for like the past couple years i think but then she wanted to bring it back and make it bigger and better and i was like uh, i want to go i want to be involved so um that's how i got connected back with that one and then the other ones i have just learned about through bookstagram and uh i applied to be an author and was accepted so i the romanticy book con i'm super excited about in orlando florida i feel like it's it's a newer one this will be their first year but it's one that the indie author community has really like rallied around i feel like i feel like we all mm -hmm. just collectively decided like this is the one like this is going to be a good one guys let's all do it and so because there were other people that had signed up that i didn't even know they were i was like oh you're doing this too like oh because we all just were like i want to go to this one uh, i mean it's close to disney so maybe that's why we're all excited <laughs> I think but, collectively um, the fantasy community is also Disney fans and it's just yeah. all like right in the same area for us. <laughs> yeah. Well, the girls that are putting it together, like I've been really impressed with their just dedication to it and the organization and everything that's going into it. Like it seems like it's going to be like a really good one. Um, and so I want to support them and I'm excited to do that. Um, and then there's some other smaller ones that I've been hearing about um, that I just, I, I want to be, I want to go to some more of these newer ones because like I went to a Polycon earlier this year and obviously that's like the major one that everyone loves and like I would love to be an author there one day, but it's just gotten so unattainable as far as like people trying to fight for tickets and it sells out so fast and it's just, there it's so crowded and like I know that there's so many people that miss out on those big ones so I want to try to promote some of the smaller ones more to get people excited to have these opportunities especially for the indie authors that have become so big recently like having those opportunities to meet those types of people like I, I think is really fun because a polycon I know there's a lot of big names that go there, but there's also some, I, I had first learned about some smaller indie authors this year that I had met there and, but I w didn't have a chance to like go see them and talk to them. So like these other cons will give me that opportunity. Yeah. I couldn't even get tickets to a polycon last year or for next year. <laughs> oh, um, I didn't either. I, it, it was I, just... I came, I went, I got tickets last year and went early in April of this year, but I did not get tickets this year. <laughs> yeah, I, I tried, but it was just so hard to get tickets for. And I'm like, I'm entering like all the gives giveaways and everything, but I'm like, I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Which I mean, I'm, that's amazing. Like I'm super excited that something like that has blown up to the scale that it has. Like that's super cool, but I just feel bad for all the people that, miss out on it and so i'm excited that there's so many new smaller like festivals and events that are kind of popping up that that readers themselves are creating and putting together because there's such a mm -hmm. demand for it now i've had like a slight anxiety wondering i'm like is romantic is going to sell out just as fast like do i need to be in the waiting room like refreshing the page over and over just to make sure i get a ticket like you know <laughs> i've been like stressing about it <laughs> I don't know if they'll 
sell out like super and they're not like a polycon level fast but like mm-hmm. there's definitely a, a big interest right now like that's a really big one that everyone's talking about so yeah i think i think it's still new enough and small enough that you don't have to worry about that just yet <laughs> i hope so fingers crossed <laughs> um okay so besides writing um can you tell us a little about just like you as a person what do you do in your uh, free time. What do you enjoy? Do you have any pets, etc.? Oh my gosh, I can talk about my pets all day. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am a cat lady. I have four cats. They are my children, and I worship them, and they worship me. Um, <laughs> uh, they are Cletus, Bella, Scooter, and Sophie, and um. Like I said, I, I, they are my children. I don't have any children, but I am married. I, I've been with my partner for 14 years, but we only recently just got married this year. Congratulations. Um, That's exciting. Thank you. So we finally decided, you know, we just need to do it. And so we did it earlier this year. Um, and we live in Nashville. And I, um, I I write full time um and do like some side stuff here and there but I don't have a full time job because I have rheumatoid arthritis so I struggle with keeping a normal schedule um health wise it's been a fun journey but um I do enjoy cooking that's probably my other favorite hobby besides writing I recently within the past year started subscribing to the like meal services like a, we we use every plate where they send you the box of like the meals that you uh like the, it's a whole meal and each every little ingredient is perfectly uh portioned out and they give you everything you need and deliver it right to your door and it's been fun to like I love following a recipe like I'm, I, I never, I'm not like a good cook. I just, I just like following the recipe and then having this fun, delicious meal that turns out at the end. So it's something that I look forward to in the evenings every day is creating these new meals. So that's a fun little hobby that I've enjoyed. Um, and I'm a reader, obviously. <laughs> like I, I'm a massive, uh, other than creating and writing stories, I like consuming stories. Um, I actually just stories in general, not just books, but movies and TV shows too. Like I've always been, I'm a big TV binger and I appreciate uh, a long story with great character development and payoff. And I spend a lot of time watching TV, all my favorite shows. Um, and I'm also a big audiobook fan. So I listen to a lot of audiobooks, especially at the gym. <laughs> so, what are you watching right now? So, at the moment, I just recently started, uh, it's called The Midnight Club on Netflix. Yeah, I saw that one. And it's by, it's produced and written by Mike Flanagan, which is the guy that does, he did Haunting of Hill House and Midnight Mass. Um, 
and then the newest one was uh the remake of follow the house of usher uh and i'm a massive horror fan so all of those shows are absolutely in my top 10 like i love them and i had never watched this one which is like his young adult take on horror and i was like you know what i need to give it a try so i started that the other day i'm on like episode two and it's good yeah i enjoyed that one i watched it like right when it came out i haven't watched fall of house of usher yet but it's definitely like on my list that i need to watch i just haven't had time to like sit down and binge lately but it was (laughs) fantastic fantastic it might actually be my favorite of all of his shows Ooh, okay, cool. Now that I'm I'm gonna have to sit down. I'm just I'm so busy right now. It's get, probably gonna wait till after like Los Angeles Comic Con, honestly. <laughs> Which is so sad because I really, really want to watch it, but it's fine. Um, what are you reading right now? I am currently um what am I reading? I just finished listening to the audiobook for um what was it called? Best Served Hot. It was a um, like a rom com about two food critics. <laughs> cute. Um, and that was really cute. Uh, by uh, it's by Amanda Elliott. And then I am reading an arc of uh, Natalia and Lucia's uh, sequel. Her book is called uh, Girls of Salt and Sea, and the sequel to that, Isle of Brine and Bone, comes out this month. On the 17th, actually. And I'm reading the arc of that right now. And it's super good. It's got, like, if you like the creepy horror stuff, you would love it. Because it's, like, uh, an eerie, mysterious island where this girl uh, goes and connects with her estranged family. And finds out that there's all these secrets and lies. And there's, like, ghosts involved. And just the vibes are on point. (laughs) That's awesome. And romance. And there's romance with a fisherman. Ooh, fisherman romance. Haven't heard that one before. That's a new one. I like that. Yes. I love her. The, the first book was super, super good and I'm excited. I haven't gotten very far in the sequel, but it's super good so far. So, okay. With your book, I I know I'm kind of like jumping around a little bit, but I, that's how my mind works sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, are is this a planned series a standalone what what are your plans for it yes so of magic and men is the first in a planned trilogy so it will be three books i had planned that from the beginning because i knew um just structure wise how i had plotted it out and the way i wanted it to be told like it, it needed to be told in those three parts so uh, I am planning for a spring 2024 release for book two. As of right now, we are crossing our fingers that that will still be the case. Um, I am in the middle of drafting book two at the moment. I'm working on it for NaNoWriMo. Um, it has been a struggle, <laughs> but it's going. Um, I do have like the full outline of it. So like, I know where it's going. I just have to like, get the words <laughs> do you have a title for that one because you had said that the title is usually what you come up with first i do i have titles for books two and three but i have not announced them yet yeah i was just gonna say i'm like we don't know this yet i haven't seen Mm-mm. it <laughs> nope. 
it's a secret. My street team knows, but that's about it. Oh, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Are there, and do you have any other like works in progress for different series or anything outside of the, of Magic and Men universe? I don't at the moment. Um, I have some scrapped projects that I started before really committing to this one. And I would like to come back to those at some point. Um, I have an adult like horror mystery that I would like to come back to. Um, and then as far as like outside of the trilogy, I do plan on, I think at least one, maybe two short novella stories that are going to go along with it. Um, but no, I don't really have anything outside of that because I, I'm just, if I'm in a specific world, like it's hard for me to jump back and forth out of it to something else. So like, even if I do have an idea about something, like I'll just like make a note of it in my phone, but like, I'm not going to work on it unless like something just like literally comes to me out of nowhere in the shower and I'm just like I have to write this down I have to do this then my main focus will be on this story because I do want to try to not have it be a full year between each book just because I want to keep that momentum going and I want to get it out while I have the inspiration and the drive and the motivation to really focus on the series and and get it out to people so I don't want to I don't want to break that up and ruin it with getting focused on something else. Um, how was the process in creating your, um, your world and like the process of your world building? How did that go about? So world building is hard. Um, <laughs> I, I learned this because like I said, that this is the first time I've ever written a fantasy novel. So I really had to, sit down and think about it's more than just the imagination of like let me create this world with all of these made up things like it, it you can do that to an extent but then you have to think technically about how those things that you created and made up in your brain actually work and function so that they make sense um because you know you can you can have people throwing sparks of magic at each other willy nilly, but if you don't really explain the uh, the process behind it, then you lose interest from your readers, and it doesn't really make a lot of sense. So you have to learn about, um, you know, the the layout of your country that you're creating, the terrain, the the, the distance between each location um what each village would have as a resource based on where they're located and what kind of jobs they would have and how they spend their money and just the politics of i mean my story has uh it's a a queendom run by witches and and there's a human rebellion so there's a lot of politics involved of like how does this work what does this meeting look like and it's very overwhelming uh when you're in the trenches of it uh especially in the very beginning i had a very very hard time um just getting all of my thoughts organized and trying to make it make sense but once i did get to that point and i had all those pieces of the foundation laid out 
it became a lot easier to write the actual story. So you just, I, it was definitely hard and it was a learning curve, but I am glad that I am past that first hump of the first book with the world building. And now I can just build off of what I've figured out. Did you have to do a lot of research for it? Um, As far as just, I knew I wanted it to be um, basic, like um, European medieval era. So just like having to figure out like what technology they could use at the time or like if I was able because I there were some liberties that I took where I was like would they have indoor plumbing at this point and I'm like <laughs> screw it I'm just, I'm writing the story I'm gonna make it to where they created showers <laughs> like just little things like that um there is a there's a rebellion going on and I there was a point where I had to figure out like how they would make a bomb in that time period with like what resources they would have um and just things like that like it, it would basically like at, as i was writing if questions came up i would just have to google it <laughs> like every other author just it stuff like that yeah i definitely got caught up at one point um about like the technology that they would have in that time like the indoor plumbing in my own writing, I like freaked out for a solid like day, and I was like, "Would a clock exist?" <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, I, I, mean, I realized. I, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I was just gonna say. Well, even in the editing process of like the actual like language, I would have to like ask my editor like if they said a certain slang word, like, does this even make sense? in this context of their world like would they even say something like that because um like as far as like the phrase um like saying that something wound you up or like gr grinds your gears or something like that like they don't have that type of technology so they wouldn't say something like that mm -hmm. so you'd have to think of like a different way to phrase things did you find that difficult at all It was a fun challenge. <laughs> there, it, okay. it, in the editing process, I found many different things I had to figure out some creative uh, words for, but it wasn't too hard. Um, did you take any inspiration from like people that you know in real life to help you create your characters? I don't think I had any specific inspiration from people I know in real life there. I did take inspiration from like characters that I've loved um, or like specific um, like character types from books and shows and things that I love and knowing that I wanted like that specific persona. Um, yeah, you had mentioned Maleficent being the main inspiration for your villain. Yeah, she, there was a lot of her that I drew for my villain. Um, there was, um, I think a lot of it was more of not necessarily being inspired by specific people, but like, um, specific personalities. And, uh, I wanted, I wanted the quirky, um, nervous 
a comic relief side character and I wanted the overbearing uh, protective dad that is so cringy and makes stupid jokes all the time but really really loves you and I wanted the the main male interest to be super overprotective but I didn't want him to be the touch her and die type and like I just kind of played around with all of those different tropes and personalities so what was your favorite trope to write you know I didn't I had the hardest time when I was trying to figure out like how to start marketing the book because I was like I don't think I used any of the popular tropes and like not to say that like I wouldn't have intentionally thrown some in there just to you know make the people happy but like I, it just didn't come naturally for some of those um I think the one that um was the most interesting for me was um mine kind of plays into the forced pro proximity aspect of the uh my main character Freya is uh kidnapped by uh the lieutenant of the guard and his people and is taken to the castle because she's to serve a punishment for disrespecting him which is against the law and so they're on this journey in this wagon uh across the country to get to the castle and so they're forced proximity together there and then uh being stuck in the castle together like playing around with that was a lot of fun um and then yeah, I don't know. I don't think I really used any, like, of the major ones that, like, everyone's always talking about. So, um, there's just a lot of, there is a, there is a couple moments of, like, touch her and die vibes, but there's no, like, <laughs> like, explicitly morally gray characters going on other than, like, my straight up evil villains. <laughs> so. Yeah, I I tried not to be too on the nose with those sorts of things. Um, so yeah, I don't know if I have any like specific ones. But force force proximity is the the biggest one I know that plays a big part of the story. Well, in your marketing, I saw like prisoner guard romance, and I was like, that's it. I didn't realize that I wanted to read that book until I saw it like written out on your marketing um, post. Yeah, but well. <laughs> didn't even realize that that was a thing either and then i was like wait a second i guess that is something that i've seen in a couple of other books so it's not one that i see overly shared a lot but yeah that that is a, a big part of it in the beginning because she's um she's taken to serve her punishment at the castle and the lieutenant is the one responsible for bringing her there and uh serving that punishment so the the beginning of their relationship that dynamic is a, a prisoner and guard situation so so you say that it's multiple pov or is it just the two main characters that you have point of views for or is there anybody else in there as well there are um quite a few points of view but the two main well so it goes back and forth between there's two storylines going on. There is the main character, Freya, who uh, gets herself caught up in the situation of disrespecting a member of the Royal Guard and has to go serve her punishment. And then we get 
uh, the lieutenant's point of view of how he feels about the situation and his involvement. And then there's also a side story going on with the princess, who is the sister of the evil queen. So we get to see her life and kind of what's going on behind the scenes of the castle at the castle while Freya is dealing with her points of view of everything. Um, and those are the main points of view. But towards the end of the book, there are. Uh, I think four other points of view that you get of other characters that you you might literally just get that one chapter from them, but it needed to be told from that character's points of point of view at that time, given what was going on. So technically, I think there's like six or seven point of views total, but um, the main story goes back and forth between um, the male main character, my female main character, and then the princess side character can you tell us a little bit like what it was like writing like a well-rounded villain so i'm actually super excited to get further into this story because of my villain i think she's the my favorite character to write at this point or she has become my favorite character now that i'm on book two because I haven't really explicitly stated that she is going to have any sort of a redemption arc, but it's kind of implied given that, you know, like Maleficent is my inspiration. So like, she's not going to be completely pure evil, but at the moment she definitely is. (laughs) And there are hints of it in the book in, in the, in book one that, You know, there's some stuff going on in her past that we don't necessarily know about. We don't know how she got here and why. And she has some connections to some other characters that makes you wonder, like, why that person would be friends or trust her in any way if she's the evil queen. So, like, there's there's an openness to it to leave you wondering where it's going to go next. And I have lots of things planned. So I knew I didn't want her to be just pure evil. Um, obviously it makes it more entertaining if, if there's more depth to the character, but like, I, I knew I wanted there to be some sort of rich backstory and explanation to why she became the way that she is, because a villain origin story is just one of my favorite things of all time. Like, I just, I absolutely love getting to know why the evil person decided to do the evil things that they do like it just it just not to say that I always like connect (laughs) with the bad guy but like I just I just feel that story so much more than like the hero's journey for some reason and and I guess I'm not alone because everyone loves a villain now on bookstagram like we we love villains um (laughs) but but I knew I I had ideas about her and what would have happened to her. And, and I, I, I had those reasons in my head, I think, when I originally created her character. So building her story and developing her has been interesting. I, so I use, um, I use the Enneagram for my characters uh personalities and to like develop like 
what choices they would make in, in any given situation or like what their deepest fear is or uh, what their goal is and, and things like that. So like having that figured out for her, um, which fun fact, my villain is a type four. And is ringing. Sorry, I lost <laughs> you for a sec there. <laughs> my phone started ringing. Sorry. Oh, you're um, fine. Uh, I am a type four Enneagram and my villain is also a type four. So basically like if I were at my worst self and all of my absolute worst traits, like if I like played into those, like that is what my villain is. <laughs> So I guess if you say I uh, wanted to know people I took inspiration from, I put a lot of myself and my bad qualities into my villain. That's really unique. Um, that's really fascinating that you say that. It's been kind of cathartic because it's like, this is the person I would be if I just stopped giving a shit and became just like the absolute worst version of myself is that scary or exciting it's both because <laughs> you're like <laughs> it makes you wonder like because i'm also a slytherin so like me too i know that there are parts of me that like if I really wanted, if I wanted to be a bad person, like I, I know that there are limits that I probably would exceed that probably are not the best. <laughs> like, give like if I was in a fantasy situation or people talking about like, what would you do in the apocalypse? Like, if it was The Walking Dead, like, I like to think that I would be okay. <laughs> <laughs> do you have an apocalypse plan? Um. I think so. <laughs> I've never like actually sat down and thought about it, but like it has crossed my mind that my brother-in-law has a um he has a property like a couple hours from here that's like out in the middle of nowhere and like they are really about like self-sustaining and like um doing everything uh have they they grow their own food and make their own stuff and like whatever. So it's like I would go there like y'all are set up for something like this. So you would probably right. last and be off the grid. I I'm going to go chill with you guys. <laughs> yeah. I, it's definitely like something that like crosses your mind. Like I'm not saying you have like a full like binder, you know, <laughs> planned out, but I feel like people think about it like once like, yeah, if a zombie apocalypse happened, what would I do? You know? <laughs> Yeah, I would, um, there's also Ace Hardware right down the road, so I would go there and get, like, all the tools and weapons, and then, like, raid the grocery store, and then go make my way to my brother-in-law's house and just camp out. It'd be fun. Fair. I like, I like that plan. That's a good plan. It's lucky <laughs> that you have somebody, like, fairly close by that, you know, has those amenities for you. <laughs> yeah, like, it's, it's one of those, like, they're not, like, like, preppers or anything, but, right. like, they've always been, um, they, him and his wife, they've always watched, um, a lot of, like, the shows on, uh, Discovery and stuff where you can, like, live off the land and, like, create your own stuff, and, like, they've always been, like, just really interested in that type of life, so they've, um, they've worked towards that for, like, the past couple of years, and so it's been fun, like, seeing, like, kind of yeah, I'm like, you guys are the type of people that 
they're like, oh, you live off the grid and you do this and that. But like when it comes to the zombie apocalypse, like you're the people I want to be hanging out with. Right. They're like, who's look who's dead, look who's not. Ha ha. Um, okay, I don't want to take up much more of your time. Do you have any advice for aspiring authors? is usually always the same whenever I get that question I think just my biggest thing is don't be afraid to reach out to people and ask questions um because I mean like we were talking about before I learned everything that I know now by doing the research and asking questions and I mean there there's a lot that you can do on your own there's a lot that you can figure out just by like scouring the internet but at the same time like learning from people who have done it before there are so so many amazing authors that I have met on this platform for just Instagram specifically and they're all super nice and super welcoming and I feel like we all just want to lift each other up and support each other in any way that we can because as an indie author you know, you're responsible for everything, the marketing and promotion and the business side of things and the writing. And so like, we don't have a big publishing house to uh, lift us up and and help us do all these things. So we got to help each other. And I feel like anytime anyone has ever asked me a question about anything, like I'm, I immediately answer and my DMs are always open. Like there's no reason to ever be afraid to reach out to your favorite indie author and just if you're curious about how the process works just you know don't be afraid to ask because that's that's what I've done and I have yet to find anyone that has been unwelcoming or unhelpful in any way we we I feel like this community is just a really really open really fun really just say good safety net for like, even if you feel like you're going to fail, um, know that there's, there's a lot of us out there that want to help you. So yeah, just don't be afraid to reach out and ask questions. I definitely found that the bookstagram community just in general was very welcoming. Even me not being an author, like I just felt extremely welcomed. Um, so many different people to talk to and ask questions and just, you know, create new friendships with, and you're not wrong. It's, it's a fantastic community. We all just want to read and have a good time. <laughs> right. Um, okay. I think we covered pretty much everything that I have written down here. Um, yeah, we did exactly an hour. We're so good. Oh yeah. Woo. Um, <laughs> Where can we find you online? Where can we get your books? So my paperback copies of of Magic and Men can be found anywhere books are sold. You can order them through your local bookstore. You can order them off of Barnes and Noble and all those fun things. Um, if you want to request it at your local library, you can. Um, we they're not necessarily like in stock everywhere but if you would like to request it and you want it in stock at your favorite bookstore you can totally do that 
Um, otherwise, my ebook is exclusive to Amazon because I am on Kindle Unlimited, which is the uh, subscription service for most readers. I think that we use nowadays, so you can borrow the ebook from Kindle Unlimited. Um, and I am on TikTok and Instagram. Both of those are author Megalivian. I am most active on Instagram. That's where my street team is. And it's where I post the most information. Um, and then I have uh, links to the upcoming book festivals and things that I'm going to be doing on my website, which is also authormegalivian.com. So all that information is up there. Uh, and yeah, um, I do believe you can get internationally. Um, I know it's available on Waterstones and Indigo um, on their websites too. So the international Amazons can be a little bit tricky. I've had some issues with like pricing and shipping, stuff like that. But um, mostly if you want to support me, definitely go get the ebook because that's where I get the most royalties anyway. So. so. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for hanging out today. I loved having this conversation with you and I've been looking forward to it for a while. So yes, um, I loved it too. It was fun. We'll definitely have to get together in Orlando with Rebecca and we'll all go to Disney together. I think that'll be a really good yes, time. I am trying to figure out my husband's going to be going with me and we have kind of more or less decided that this is going to be like a vacation for us. So we're either going to go like a week before or the week after the, that weekend of the convention and go to probably wizarding world and whatever else and just like make a thing out of it. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope you have a wonderful time and I hope we get to meet in person soon and we'll definitely have to have another interview when book two comes out next year. Yes. Yay. Thank you so much for talking to me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. And have a wonderful rest of your day. We'll see you we'll too. Talk soon. Okay. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. I feel like you guys got really lucky today because I barely edited that interview at all. There was so much good stuff and you guys got like 98% of it unedited. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. I am really looking forward to next week. We're going to be covering chapters 11 through 22 of Nightweaver. And make sure you guys are writing down your questions for RM Gray, because we're going to have Rebecca answer all of them. And I'm really looking forward to that as well. I already started my own list, but make sure you send those in to me as well so I can add them onto it. And... I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend and I will see you guys next time. Bye.